Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Good to see you again, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. Looking ahead to November, this is big-time worry time for Democrats, despite the fact that the economy is strong, unemployment's at an historic low, and some 400,000 new jobs are being created every month. Polls show that the American people are still in a funk, which is never good for the party in power and not good for Democrats today. So what should Democrats do in this environment? Is there any chance they can hold on to the House and the Senate? Is there some magic they can work in Congress? And will outrage over the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade energize the Democratic base enough to turn things around? For answers today, we turn to one of the leading progressives in the House, Congressman Mark Pocan, representing Wisconsin's second congressional district since 2013 and former co-chair of the House Progressive Caucus. Uh, by the way, just a quick footnote. Uh, at moments in this podcast, there are some problems with the audio. Sorry about that, but don't worry. You can clearly understand everything Congressman Pocan is saying. Congressman Mark Pocan, it's always good to connect with you. Thanks so much for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks for having me, Bill. Glad to be here. Well, of course, Washington uh, got a kind of a nuclear bomb last week with the leak of this uh, draft decision by Justice Samuel Alito, which would overturn Roe v. Wade, for which he apparently already has all the votes necessary. Congressman, what's your assessment of the impact of that decision, assuming it sticks, both on American women but also on American politics? You know, a lot of things, right? Uh, I mean, first of all, no one, I shouldn't say no one, let me rephrase that. A lot of people didn't think this was ever going to happen. This is settled law. Half a century, uh, people who've gone before the Senate to be nominated and proved as Supreme Court justices have basically said, no, this will never happen. And uh, yet we know that this has been the plan for decades. So yep. I guess we shouldn't be surprised it's happening other than uh, that people denied it when they were getting uh, nominated and appointed. And, uh, you know, this is uh, un extremely unfortunate in the sense that uh, this is is going to set back a half a century of law uh, saying that women can't make their own decisions about their health care and their bodies. And in reading the leaked draft, uh, you know, they also showed some slippery slope other areas they may go to. I mean, the very next morning, I got calls from people saying, hey, uh, marriage equality, is my marriage still going to be recognized? Well, Maybe not if you read the the memo. And that's the problem is now it looks like the court is going to be a very activist court uh, from a very extremist uh, kind of perspective. And, you know, this should be a wake up call for everyone that if it turns out this is their decision and the way they go, um, elections truly, truly have consequences and appointments have consequences and uh, people just have to be very ready to act. 
By the way, you and I remember when Republicans used to accuse Democrats of appointing activist judges, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're great at doing things like, you know, uh, saying exactly what they're doing, attacking that and saying we're doing it. You know, they go after people often and attack their strengths in order to make them weaknesses. I mean, they're they're not afraid to hold anything back. And I think, you know, Democrats, sometimes we may be a bit too genteel in how we uh, respond with things. But, you know, the Republicans have never been ashamed of uh, they're there to get something done. Uh, and that in this case, it's a very extremist agenda. But that's what the modern Republican Party is. Do you believe that this will serve as a wake-up call to uh, to Democrats, to independents, even pro-choice Republicans, that these midterms really matter and could make a difference? I, I do. Um, in, in all elections matter, right? And this is what it should send uh, to many folks, because again, I think thinking people thought this would never happen based on the actual statements of Supreme Court uh, nominees. And now we see that, you know, this is the real agenda that's been out there um, to overturn 50 years of law uh, just for, for political extremism means the only way people can be heard is to, to get rid of people who appoint these types of folks, who vote for the confirm these types of folks. And uh, I think it will be a wake up call. And, and, and don't forget, it's take away freedoms, right? Again, Republicans are great about talking about freedoms, yet they're the ones actually taking them away. Uh, and this is the freedom to make decisions about your own bodies and healthcare. And if they start going after things like marriage equality, the decisions to, you know, about who you love and go down the list, uh, I think there's a lot more that will also be a, an attack in the very near future if this goes through. So uh, I find it somewhat amusing, Congressman, that uh, rather than uh, taking a victory lap, right, as you said, this is something Republicans have been working for uh, actively, promising for over 50 years, right? But rather than taking a victory lap and crowing about it and popping the champagne cork, they're kind of trying to run away from this decision now, right? I mean... Oh, yeah, um, Laura Ingram, right? She's like, oh, this yeah. is terrible timing. Well, why does the timing matter if this is was something you desperately want to get done? Oh, because you want to continue to hoodwink and lie to people. Now I understand why you may not be out there talking about it. And why aren't you know, people like Donald Trump more aggressively talking about you know what he's accomplished through his court appointments? Uh, you know, there's a reason. They know this is wildly unpopular. I think the, the best poll I've seen uh, for their stance is at about a third of Americans. And in most, it's the, the more extremist uh, parts of this are, are like in the double digits in the teens. You know, if, if you ask someone, if you thought someone who's been raped or, you know, had to, for rape or incest, should you be able to um, make sure that you don't bring a baby into this world? And, you know, that that polls very, very, very low, and yet this very extreme position will likely impact people in all sorts of cases and leave it to the states. So the question is, I think that some of us are asking is, while Republicans try to run away from it, will Democrats make sure they can't run away from it? Will Democrats use this as an issue to say, look, this is one issue you've got to get out there and vote in these midterms on this issue on abortion? Are Democrats prepared to do that? We better. I mean, I, I think the Senate this week is going to do what the House already passed, which is yeah. codifying Roe versus Wade into law. Right. I mean, it's important that um, you know we, we do that. The problem is with a 50-50 Senate and a three or four seat margin, depending on the time of this session uh, we've had in the House, it's been really tricky to get some things done. But, you know, if, if the people who um, 
sometimes are afraid of their constituents, are afraid of their constituents on this one, um, then, you know, we're all going to wind up paying a really severe price for this. So I hope, you know, people, this is a core issue, I think, as a Democrat, the freedom to make decisions about your own health care and your own body uh, and decisions about who you love. I mean, if we're going to be afraid to stand up for those sorts of things, then, you know, we, we will pay a price for that. Uh, so, Congressman, I, I want to circle back to something we talked a little bit about, and that is this uh, leaked opinion by Justice Samuel Alito. You know, in his writing, uh, he says that one of the reasons for overturning Roe v. Wade is because way back in 1787, our founding fathers didn't talk about abortion. It's not an enumerated right in the Constitution. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, they, they, first of all, he's going to what? The law from the 1600s? Like, I mean, this is crazy stuff, right? That what we read in this opinion, I thought Saturday Night Live did a great job with their opening skit on Saturday night, you know, showing uh, the absurdity of, of much of the argument in a, in a modern world. But on top of that, the fact that they mentioned things like marriage equality, yep. you know, that's very real. And I think, you know, people are very concerned. There have been a lot of uh, protests and rallies, you know, clearly already in my district and across the country. Um, this is something that, you know, people see as an extremist position, but that's what the Republican Party is. It's just, you know, they never, never want to tell you that. But if you see that slippery slope in other areas, it's, it's, you got to wonder when you're going to lose your freedoms uh, in order to appeal to extremists in the Republican Party. I mean, the Republican Party, you know, used to be just made up of greedy people uh, and politically uh, extreme on the conservative social spectrum. You know, now it's even gotten worse under Donald Trump. And yet the real ramifications are a lot of erosions of rights for a lot of different people. So, Congressman, the last time we talked, uh, we spoke about the Build Back Better <laughs> initiative uh, and legislation, uh, that package in Congress. Um, is there anything left of Build Back Better? Uh, is it just gone? So what the Congressional Progressive Caucus and some of the other caucuses are doing right now are encouraging the president to do executive orders because with a 50-50 Senate, with a few of the senators, uh, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, and maybe others on certain issues, mm -hmm. um, it's it, almost impossible to get anything done. Um, and as much as there are great things in that Build Back Better agenda that would be wildly popular, as you know, in Washington, there's also a ton of special interests. And there's a lot of people who uh, I think all too often are almost afraid of their own constituents. And because of that, uh, you're, you're going to see it, it's been it's been difficult to, to finish the rest of the Build Back Better agenda. Don't forget, infrastructure was a part of that agenda. So yep. there's another way to do that. And, and I think many of those items can happen through executive orders. Not all can, but many can. And while they're not as permanent as, as being in statute, it's certainly a way to show how they can work. And then we can have, I think, a better chance to get them done um, so that they'll be a law and permanently in place for people. So, you know, we think it's important the president start acting now. I, I, I don't think any more time has to be wasted. Uh, we should be doing these uh, several a week and showing people what will actually get done in addition to stopping the craziness of what we saw last week on Roe versus Wade. But what you'll also see is the continuation of the benefit 
from electing Democrats. You know, we passed the American Rescue Plan last year. We passed the infrastructure bill this year. We've passed the Competes Act, which uh, will be soon passed through the House and Senate and signed by the president uh, about computer chips and trying to bring down uh, costs and make more things here in America. We passed a postal reform bill that almost got no notice. And yet, you know, we've talked about it for a decade that fixes this craziness of um, having to prepay uh, employee benefits 75 years into the future that made the post office financially insecure. And we also protected six-day mail delivery for people, which I'll tell you, organically, it's probably in the top three issues I hear from constituents. They're concerned really? about huh. postal issues, yeah. right? We did that. So we've done a lot of good things. The problem is there's a COVID hangover. Uh, inflation has taken people away from many uh, listening to maybe some of the other things we've done. But if you could start getting executive orders out there and get those done, again, you're showing what we can do if you let us pick up Wisconsin and Pennsylvania in the Senate and you let us uh, pick up some additional seats in the House, uh, how we can get those things done. Uh, give us a, a couple of examples of executive orders that, uh, uh, first let me ask, are you working with the White House on these executive orders? Are they open to this? Yes, they are open to this. Um, so a couple of weeks back, uh, I think 13 of the caucuses went in and met with the White House. And I know it wasn't just ours. I think it was the Hispanic Caucus and others as well came in with a list of things that they would like to see done via executive order, you know, just mm -hmm. looking at the reality of a 50-50 Senate. And yeah. um, given yeah, give that... Us a, give yeah, us a couple of examples of things that um, you'd like. Eliminating uh, student debt. You know, um, there have been a variety of, I guess, the, uh, the amount of the proposals. The president had previously talked about 10,000. We would like to see more, but you know what? Let's relieve some student debt so that people can um, get going with their lives because those jobs are going to help us to you know, get the economy going, and they have been. Um, also, uh, things like worker protections, you know, and some of the um, laws that we have around overtime, uh, you know, there was a, a law that was uh, done via executive order under President Obama. It got turned over um, under the Trump administration uh, on overtime pay, and we think there's a place that they can go back to that won't get overturned that could protect people. Cause right now I think the level is if you make $33,000, you that's, that's enough that you don't get any overtimes. Well, $33,000 isn't all that much, um, right. For someone working full time, especially if that overtime isn't paid for, and then you're working 60 hours a week for that, uh, or more. So there's worker protections, there's environmental issues that we can do. Um, there's a whole lot of things and we've proposed a, a number of them as a progressive caucus, but uh, other caucuses have as well. And I'm hoping that the president will start doing those pretty quickly because um, I, I think it's it's time for, for people to find out. I think they're tired of watching things not happen and trying to explain a 50-50 Senate is, is a longer conversation than you can really do to, to let people know that you're getting things done. And, and that's why we need to move on these as fast as possible. Uh, especially when... <laughs> Uh, you can't even you can't even count on all fifty Democratic votes, right? Well, exactly, and that's I think the very obvious problem. So, uh, so uh, how do you think? How does the progressive you, as a former co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, uh, your fellow progressives, uh, how do you feel so far about Joe Biden and how he has um, responded to the progressive agenda, if you will? I mean, I, I've been very impressed uh, on multiple levels. You know, I, I went to four states for Bernie Sanders and, um, you know, was very happy to do that. And uh, but I'll tell you the Joe Biden uh, administration has been amazing in reaching out to members, reaching out to the progressive caucus on a very regular basis. I would argue our caucus 
had the president's back on Build Back Better more than anyone because uh, we appreciated the values that he was putting out there and trying to get done. Um, you know, I, I think there's always areas we'd like to see some additional measures or improvement, but uh, the amount of outreach has been exceptional. And I really feel like they listen and uh, are, are trying to get things done. Do you think some progressives have been a little too... Uh too hard on Biden, too tough on Biden. Uh, I mean, I've heard progressive just over the weekend, there were progressives chanting, where's Joe on the, uh, in front of the Supreme court, right? Uh, progressives complaining that Biden hasn't done out, done enough about climate change or whatever. Um, do, do you think some of your fellow progressives, <laughs> uh, maybe are not are a little too strong here? By and large, my position is shared by, I think, most progressives. Um, uh -huh. I, I'm just saying that anecdotally, but, you know, the amount of access has been exceptional. I mean, Build Back Better, the agenda around um, daycare and the child tax uh, credit and, you know, so many issues around climate and others we've strongly supported. So, you know, it's not his fault those things didn't happen. It's a few folks over in the Senate's fault why they didn't happen. And, you know, you can't fault the person who actually came up with the idea to do those. So, you know, I think there's always people who like to complain, but but sometimes may not actually follow politics as closely as they should. I, I you know, mm -hmm. I, I saw that this morning alone. There was a, a situation where um, there was a, a damage done, supposedly a Molotov cocktail thrown inside yeah, a yeah. very conservative place in my district that uh, advocates um, against uh, personal choice around abortion, against equality uh, for the LGBTQ plus community. And, you know, I already saw tweets this morning saying, oh, there was a Molotov cocktail at an abortion clinic in Madison. No, actually, not at all. But people sometimes take stuff and, and maybe don't have all the facts. I think in the case of Joe Biden, um, the facts are uh, he has led in many areas more progressive than I have seen a Democrat in the White House probably in my adult lifetime. And uh, mm. I'm going to try to right. acknowledge those things and push for more where we uh, want to push for more. You mentioned worker protections, Congressman. Speaker Nancy Pelosi this week came up with a proposal of her own, uh, which I think she has the authority to do on her own. Uh, and that is set a minimum pay scale for congressional staffers of $45,000. Um, I'm sure that was welcomed by your staff and others. Uh, long overdue, right? Yeah. I mean, especially those, usually the entry-level positions, you know, are staff assistants. And I remember when I first got to Congress, not our office, but other offices paid in the upper 20,000s to start someone off in that position just not even a full 10 years ago. And you know how expensive it is to live in, in Washington. I think an average one bedroom is probably somewhere between 22 and 2600. Um, clearly, uh, that was not a pay that that would work to actually live on unless you had parents who were wealthy and were taking care of you or you were, you know, seven people to a, a two bedroom apartment, which I know there's <laughs> stories of. And uh, none of that is healthy. So I, I, I'm glad we're doing that. Plus, I think we're going to be looking at some other measures of unionization uh, that um, right. while it's by federal law, it's somewhat limited what they can bargain for, but it will give um, our employees to be able to even have more protections. As you know, it's a very long hours job in many cases. Um, and uh, at least minimum pay is something that's uh, uh, very long overdue, as well as some other protections. Uh, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to add a word that if uh, Starbucks employees now and Amazon employees can form a union, so can congressional staffers. <laughs> I, I was really happy to see the, uh, the well, speaker make that clear. 
You know, if I can, Bill, I mean, one thing that, you know, because you know, I, that's my background. I've, I've been a union member for three decades, Painters Absolutely. and Allied Trades, and started the Labor Caucus with uh, Don Norcross and others. And, uh, you know, one of the most, I think, positive developments, not just that public opinion is so high on giving workers a voice through unions, um, but we've watched what's going on in Starbucks. We're watching what's going on in Amazon. We're watching what's going on in the video game industry in my district. Um you know, we're seeing very non-traditional industries looking at unionization because of uh, the abuses of some of the, the companies that have been hiring people. And I think that's fantastic. You know, it's, it's for too long, I think we looked at the old paradigm of organizing, and that was only in certain positions. And now we're realizing the, the real work that has to happen. And uh, it's been really exciting. And we've had a lot of those folks coming and talking to the Labor Caucus and sharing the stories, you know, across the country. Right. Uh, and I might add, uh, or news organizations like uh, BuzzFeed, the employees uh, just organized and formed a union uh, in Huff, HuffPost. They did a couple of years ago. Uh, and interesting, in both cases, they did it uh, despite management fighting against them. But they uh, they carried the day, which was uh, really great. Lots, lots to talk about Congressman. I want to say, we'll take a quick break if we can and then come back and find out what's going on in that great swing state of Wisconsin. Quick break, and we'll be right back. Well, in addition to that uh, Alito leak, uh, Ukraine, of course, is the big story in the news this week, especially with First Lady Jill Biden making a very courageous, unannounced visit to Ukraine. And it reminds us of the great work that Chef Jose Andres is doing in Ukraine, in Poland, in Slovakia, and other countries, helping the refugees from the war in Ukraine, doing the Lord's work in that area, serving already over 13 million meals to victims of the war in Ukraine. They need our help more than ever. In fact, uh, Russian missiles struck one of the world's central kitchens facilities inside of Ukraine this week. So I want to remind you again, what great work they're doing, uh, how much they need our help, please go to World Central Kitchen, wck.org, wck.org, and send Jose Andres and the World Central Kitchen whatever help, as much help as you can. Thank you. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with the Bill Press Pod. Our guest today, Congressman Mark Pocan from Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District, former co-chair of the Progressive Caucus, and certainly one of the leading progressives in the House of Representatives. Wisconsin, Wisconsin, boy, it is always very interesting politics in Wisconsin. What's going on, Congressman? Uh, I mean, let's let's go back to what we talked about, uh, the importance of abortion as an issue in the 2022 midterms, uh, particularly in Wisconsin. I didn't realize, uh, looking at a few notes here to prepare for our interview, Wisconsin actually has a over a hundred year law that bans abortion in your state. Yeah, I, we would unfortunately be one of those states that will go back to the you know previous years uh, of of treating women with full equality. And you know the problem is our legislature is so gerrymandered, and those maps were just approved by um, the Supreme Court through the, pro- the the redistricting process that. Uh, they're going to continue to be in charge in the House uh, and the Senate. So our governor's race is so very important. And, you know, Tony Evers has been an exceptional governor um, for so many issues, and especially choice is one of them. Uh, but if we don't have him uh, in that position, this this gerrymandered legislature will make all kinds of terrible laws that will follow from this decision. So, you know, our governor's race is really key. Um, also, our Senate race, you know, Ron Johnson, uh, I've heard, these are not my words, but people have called him America's dumbest senator. I'm not saying that's not me saying that. That's what I've heard. Um, But, you know, he uh, is awful and doesn't do very much for the people of Wisconsin in so many ways. I mean, he's just um, most recently, uh, I think his most recent comment was he was on a panel with someone and he someone said that you could get AIDS from the COVID vaccine. And he said, well, that may be true, but so here he is accepting something as crazy as a position that you can get AIDS from the COVID vaccine vaccine now. Like even the the crazy people look at him and go, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and that's Ron Johnson, you know, now saying things like that. So if we get rid of Ron Johnson, we'll finally be able to get something through the Senate. You know, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania are a couple of the states that are so important. And in the House side, uh, Ron Kine's seat, the third congressional district in Wisconsin on the western edge of Wisconsin, is a swing district. And if we don't win that seat, we may not have the House of Representatives. So the House is looking at Wisconsin. The Senate's looking at Wisconsin. The gubernatorial uh, folks who follow governor's races are looking at Wisconsin. We've got a lot on the ballot that's going to matter this November. But now in the governor's race, uh, uh, let's start there. Uh, it's very, it's pretty clear, right? It's a, it's a total uh, black and white between Tony Evers, who does support abortion rights, uh, and whoever his most likely opponent, I think, is what Rebecca Cleefish is. Well, that I'll tell you, there's a bunch of folks. I don't know if yeah. she is. You know, she's a former lieutenant governor under Scott Walker, but you know, um, not the most impressive elected official Wisconsin's ever seen. And because of it, there's a big Republican primary. There's a state rep who um, is, a, is a total extremist who's been talking to Trump, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, believes in banning rape, including, or, sorry, banning abortion, including in the cases of rape and incest, who's running. Um, there's uh, two self kind of funded candidates or, or with self funders behind them running um, Nicholson and um, 
Oh, I'm going to forget even the names. There's a bunch of these folks. There's Tim, like, Mike, Tim Michaels. Is Tim that? Michaels is the other one. Yeah. Yes. And so you've got a bunch of candidates and there's still a few others that are a little lesser, but I don't think it's a, it's a certain who's coming out of that primary yet, but they're all courting to the far right to get Trump support in that element of the, the basis support. So you could imagine the type of proposals they're going to be putting out there and how extreme they're going to be. Right. And uh, just the, the, the bottom line is, right, that how Wisconsin goes on this issue of choice will depend on who wins the governor's race in Wisconsin. Absolutely. Because of the legislature being gerrymandered and that those maps are now official. Um, absolutely. Our governor will will completely matter on whether we look like Mississippi um, or we look like Wisconsin. So back to, the, to now to Ron Johnson. Um, I didn't, am I correct? Didn't Ron Johnson promise he was not going to run for a third term? Yeah, but Ron is, is Ron, right? Like he, he's, um, very enigmatic, uh, in not just in an interesting way, but more in a strange way. Right. Uh, so he said he wouldn't run and then now he is, and I forgot even the reason he gave. Um, but you know, he recently, we had a thousand jobs that were coming to Wisconsin to the Fox Valley area to build electronic vehicles for the postal service. And they decided to, instead, there would have been good union jobs to send them to South Carolina, that company. They kind of did a bait and switch. Many of us helped advocate for them. And now they're going to be down in South Carolina. And his response was, well, we already have enough jobs in Wisconsin. I mean, what, what state would say that? What U.S. senator would say, we already have enough good paying family supporting jobs in our state? And um, he's also, you know, the guy who said that mouthwash could kill COVID. And he's got a lot of extremist, crazy um, really unusual, even by the by unusual standards uh, that he's put out there. And I think his polling numbers are not strong. He is not well liked here. And I think that we have a good chance to take him out. Unless I'm wrong. Let's, let me put it this way. Has he always been so crazy or when he was first elected, did he just hide it? No, he was kind of Tea Party before there was Tea Party, but now oh. I think really he was Q before there was Q, right? Like he, he's always been like this. Um, he had a chief of staff for a while that I don't want to embarrass the guy, but you know, kept him in check. And he left a few years back and you can tell a difference, almost like a, a clock when he started going full Rojo again with all these crazy conspiracy theories and you know, odd ideas and everything else. And so I think, you know, for a while he, he did better with good staffing, but once, you know, that good person went on to some other things, um, you know, Rojo went full Rojo. And most recently, you know, I've been dealing with him on um, some other stuff where I think he's been extremely homophobic and trying to appeal to the base. And, you know, this guy will gladly uh, confirm every Supreme Court justice who actually would tell the truth uh, rather than lying about things they do like on Roe versus Wade. And that's how, how, how much of an outlier Ron Johnson is. By the way, I love your name for him, Rojo. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, that's, that's the, uh, around here, that's what uh, we call him. It's, uh, 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll steal that from you if you don't mind. Please uh, so, do. <laughs> uh, and, and the other thing that's going on, if I'm not, if I'm correct, is that aren't there still, isn't there still an active effort in Wisconsin to, um, prove that the 2020 election was fraudulent. Yes, I, I tried. I, I hope people kind of forget about that, but I know it's still happening. I thought there, they had, but apparently some people have not, right? It's this incredibly embarrassing um, effort by uh, a 
incumbent or a, a former Supreme Court justice who was pathetic uh, is the is the best term yeah. I'll use. And now he is in charge of this, and he was going to continue this even if the assembly stopped. You know, the the legislature stopped funding him because he's enjoying it. He's going to every My Pillow conference. He's you know meeting with every extreme group, and they're still investigating the election. We've had nonpartisan agencies look at the election, and we actually have really great election laws and standards in Wisconsin. But they did this in order to keep Donald Trump happy. If they didn't, he was going to complain about all sorts of Republicans here and they have to deal with the base. So, you know, they wound up putting this together thinking, OK, you know, it'll go away. But the guy they put in charge is is kind of like, you know, the guy who, you know, loves to get out every year and drive the shrine, you know, a Shriner uh, car around. But he's doing it full time. Like, you know, he's really making this a circus. And we look very embarrassed because of it. And I don't know how they're going to get control because, you know, rightfully so, they were going to stop funding because he's still not finding anything. And uh, if you stop funding, then Donald Trump gets upset. So it's, they're in this loop of, of idiocy and they don't know how to get out of it. Well, I think the question, Congressman, that a lot of people asking, Democrats in other states are asking. So they look at Wisconsin, uh, which has been a swing state, uh, some great Democrats, but then unfortunately some pretty crazy Republicans elected, uh, and a state that Donald Trump carried in 2016, but Joe Biden carried in 2020. So how did you do it in Wisconsin? What did Democrats do in Wisconsin? And what should Democrats in other states learn from your experience in Wisconsin? So we're a purple state, but not because we're purple. We've got areas of red and areas of blue that make us a purple state. It, it's, it's really a lot about uh, turnout. We've got a really strong Democratic Party right now. Um, ben Wickler is our chair. He used to be uh, at Move On Nationally. And he's done a great job on doing grassroots outreach, not just at election time, talking to voters. People agree with us and uh, on the issues. So if we get them out to vote, we will win elections. We won't be purple. We'll be bluish purple. We'll be indigo blue. Uh, but if <laughs> we have less turnout, that's when people like Ron Johnson win. And that's really the message for Democrats nationwide, isn't it? Turn out, turn out, turn out. Uh, absolutely. And, but you've got to earn it. You know, you have to talk to people and listen to them and talk about their issues. And that's why if we as Democrats don't talk about what's happening with Roe versus Wade, we will be making a huge mistake because that's what people are talking about. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much for joining us today. Always good to talk to you. Uh, thanks for your good work. And um, we will see what happens in these midterms, follow these elections, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Sounds Congressman. Good. Thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate it. And that's it for today's podcast with Congressman Mark Pocan. Thanks to the good congressman. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Um, we will remind you that we'll be back on Friday with this week's roundtable. Looking again at the continued fallout uh, from the Samuel Alito draft opinion on the Congress and on the politics of the day. Until then, please take good care of yourselves. Be strong, be safe, be sane, and come back and see us Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.